Good morning, family. Welcome to New Life Horizon Church. We pray that you be blessed as you join our worship session. We pray that somehow the Lord will touch your heart and that you will see Him in a different way. So thank you for joining us online as we enter into the presence of the Lord. Be blessed. thanks and praise because he is good and his goodness is forever so now we're going to enter into the time of worship with our tithes and offering it is indeed a blessing to give back a portion a tenth of what the Lord has given us and blessed us with 
with the ability of income, finances and all of that. And we are so thankful also that he causes us to increase. We might not see the increase, but we are increasing. We have been increasing grace, in mercy, in the fullness of the, of the Lord and His Spirit. And His joy is from everlasting to everlasting. And we want to make sure that when we're giving, we're giving with a, a heart that is filled with thanksgiving and gladness. And for those who are online who feel the option to give, you can give to our PayPal account, which is newhorizonmin at gmail.com. So as we enter in the time of giving, I'm going to just play um, a song and we just enter into the time of giving. Thank you.
you that we are vessels unto you. Lord, we thank you that you can use us and you can make us an offering. One that is sweet smelling unto your nostril. One that you will bless and continue to be a blessing unto us as we give back unto you. We are so thankful and grateful for what you have given us. And Lord, if indeed we need more, just as you tell David, if he needed one more, he should ask. Let it not be that we did not ask for what we need. And Lord said, you say you will supply all our needs according to your glory. Well, Lord, there wasn't a time that was listed on it. You did not say when, now, or how. But it's for us to be faithful and for us to trust in you. Even if we don't understand the processes we're going through. Because, Lord, we will not probably get an answer on this side of the world or in this season and in this time. But, Lord, our hearts must always be filled with joy when we come before you. Because, Lord, who else is there? The only other option is the devil, and we don't want to worship him. So we want to make sure that we, we give back unto you what is due to you. So give what is Caesar, what is Caesar. Give what, what is the Lord, what is the Lord. Because the Lord knows and the Lord sees. There is nothing that is hidden from him. And Lord, we thank you as we continue to worship you as a body of believers. Coming here faithfully. Coming here consistently. We pray that every time that you're here, that we'll be connected to you and hearing from you. So Lord, we thank you. And Lord, may this offering be used unto the, the building up of your kingdom. May it be used to spread the gospel. May it be used to be a refuge for those who need help. May it be used to the glorification of your kingdom as your a soon and coming king. Let us be as good soldiers that fight the fight of faith that will not give up when things look down or when things not going our way. That will fight and fight and fight because Lord, you are with us. So Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. And we're going to go into the scripture reading and after that we're going to go straight into the message. Thank you. Good morning everyone. My name is Ava Green Cameron and this morning I want to personally welcome you to New Life Horizon Church. I am thankful to the Lord for those who are consistently joining us on a Sunday morning and for those who are listening. For those who listen from week to week and will comment and encourage us that what we're indeed doing that the Lord is using us as a ministry to bless you. And this morning we want to look at Revelation 2 from verse 8 to 11. 
And the topic of the message this week is the pure, poor, prosperous church. The pure, poor, prosperous church. And before I read, we're just going to thank the Lord for delivering the word this morning. And that the word will become to us his very words to our souls. And so Father, I thank you this morning that the word to that poor, pure, prosperous church, the church who suffered, the church who was persecuted, is the word to us now. And so Father, we thank you that you will come and you will deliver your word as you see fit. I pray, Father, that in everything that is said this morning, that it be your words, that you will speak with clarity, that you will speak, Father God, the very thing that upon it is on your heart that you want to share with us. And so, Father, we just bless you this morning. We give you thanks, Father, for who you are. We thank you that you are already here, and we know you're here. And we thank you, Father, and we give you full access to our hearts. We give you full access to our ears so that we will hear and heed. And as we sang this morning about being overcomers, Lord, I just pray, God, that we will be known as overcomers in Christ. And so, Father, I just bless your name this morning. And I give you thanks. May the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, Lord, in your sight. Amen. So we're looking at Revelations 2, verses 8 to 11. And when you have found it, let us all stand. Revelations 2, 8 to 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. There ended the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Last week, we looked at the church of Ephesus. And we noticed that the church of Ephesus was in the Asia Minor, otherwise now called Turkey. And that we looked last week that the message was a revelation from God to Jesus who sent it through the angels to John. And so 
John could now testify to the churches, the seven churches, what Jesus, the plan and revelation of Jesus. The Ephesian believers last week we noticed they were commended for their hard work. They were commended for their perseverance and for their intolerance of liars and impostors. But they were rebuked because they had forsaken their first love. They were cautioned to return to their first love and to remember the height from which they have fallen. They were called to repent and to come back and to do the things they used to do when they were in love. But they were also warned because the, the scripture says that if they did not repent, if they did not return to their for, first love, God would have removed their lampstand. And with the removal of a lampstand, it means that the church would cease to exist. The lights in the community would have gone out. And we know from history that the church of Ephesus no longer existed. And we, all we can assume from that is that they never remembered, they never returned, they never repented. And so what was promised to them, that tree of life, they never got. And we know in Asia, otherwise um, Asia Minor, now Turkey, what, what occupied 99% Muslim. So it was an area that has a large population of Christians. Now we see the Christian population has died out. And this week we are moving on to that same next church. And if you, if you look at, I gave you a handout last week, if you, if you still have it, and you look on your map, you will see where Paul left the island of Patmos, and he went to Ephesus, and from Ephesus he went to Smyrna. And so this week we are in Smyrna, which is the second stop the second message that John sent was to this church in Smyrna. Smyrna, otherwise called Izmir, was a thriving port city with an excellent harbor, located about 35 miles north of the church of Ephesus. Smyrna was known for its beauty, it was known for its architecture, it was known for flowers and its tropical climate, and above all, it was known for myrrh. Citizens of Smyrna took great pride in their city and in the history of their city. Actually, in 6000 BC, it is told that Smyrna was destroyed and what was later rebuilt by Alexander the Great. Smyrna was named after its commercial product, myrrh, which means bitter. Myrrh was produced by crushing a fragrant plant and the, the gum resin was used to make, to make perfume. And in, in Psalms 45 verse 8 we saw where David spoke about the, the, the myrrh being used for perfume. It was used in Exodus 23 for the anointing oil for the priests. And it was also used in John 19.39 for the embalming oil. Can you believe that one thing used to give fragrance and used to keep dead things fresh. And the same thing used to anoint the 
holy oil used for anointing. And as I read about the, the myrrh, I wondered, could the myrrh that was used to embalm Jesus' body, or the myrrh that the, the, the wise men brought when Jesus was born, could this myrrh be coming out of Smyrna? And for like myrrh, the church of Smyrna was crushed and was afflicted. They were crushed and afflicted. But the scripture says that those who remained faithful to God would have inherited the promised crown of life. The first thing I want us to note this morning from the passage I read is that in every, every message that John sent to the churches, Jesus identifies himself in a unique term that is significant to the need of his recipient. To the church in Ephesus, the, forsake, the ones who had forsaken their first love, Jesus identifies himself as the one who holds the seven stars and walks among the lampstands. And in identifying himself this way, Jesus was demonstrating to the church in Ephesus that I am in charge and I have power over all the churches. This week we noticed to the church in Smyrna, known as the Suffering Church, Jesus was identifying himself in verse 8 as the first and the last who died and came to life again. The title that Jesus took on, the first and last, as we see in Revelation 1, 17, verse 18, and 17 to, chapter 1, verse 17 to 18, and in Isaiah 41, 4, and Isaiah 44, 6, it's a title that God took on to himself, and at the first and the last, Jesus is saying, I am the true God. I am eternally nature. I am the sum of everything from the beginning and I am the same one who carried it to the completion. Jesus was there before all things were created and will be there when all things are destroyed and cease to exist. So Jesus is saying to them, I am the first, I am the last. Then he said to them, I am the one, still in verse, in verse 8, I am the one who died and came to life again. And in essence what Jesus was speaking of, he was saying that I am the incarnate one. The one who came into a world that was limited by space and limited by time. I was a man of sorrow who was acquainted with the sufferings of every believer. I died but I didn't remain dead. Because he conquered. Jesus the conqueror of death is now alive. And so when he said to the Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, I am the one who died and came to life again. He was saying to them, do not fear death. I have the remedy for death. I have the portion. I know how to conquer because I have already conquered death. And I now live. And you too can live because I live. So I thought about how, how God was strategic in uniquely identifying himself to these two churches. I wondered, 
In what way is God identifying himself to me? In what way is he identifying himself to you? This morning we sang about the God who overcame and we sang about the God who was the deliverer. We sang about him in different ways and the, the different, the different um, songwriters mentioned the different aspects of God or the different essence or nature of God. And so this morning I ask you, in what way is God revealing himself and describing himself to you? The second thing I want to note this morning from the text is that Jesus reveals his knowledge about each church's deeds and commends them for their deeds. Last week we saw that he spoke to the Ephesian church and he said, I know your good works. This week he's saying, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The church of Smyrna was a pure church. Actually, it is the only church of the seven that Jesus did not rebuke. When I went through them and I read it and I did my research and I, I, and I created a table and I did the same thing that you have and I saw them, I realized he had nothing bad to say this morning. And so we realized it was a pure people. It's a people that we should desire to be like. They were known for their suffering. They were known for their persecution. And even in the midst of persecution and suffering, they were still devoted to God and it has gone unnoticed. Because Jesus Christ knew what they were going through. He knew everything about the church then. And he knows about the deeds of the church now. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows his knowing was not from observation. So when he says to the church, he says, I know. It's not because he was from afar off observing. But he was speaking from experience. I know the affliction you're going through. Because as the high priest, Jesus suffered. And he was touched with our feelings of infirmity, and he was tempted in all things. Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken, because he too was forsaken by his father. He knew what it is to be poor, because he was poor. He said, I do not have anywhere to lay my head. And Jesus knew what it is to be persecuted. Because he too was persecuted for his claims as God. So Jesus understood their pressure. He knew their pain. He knew that just like the murder that their, the, 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 the town got its name from. That they too were crushed by life. He knew that they were slandered by the Jews. Because the Jews did not like Christians. And so in order to disassociate themselves from the Christians, so that the Roman Empire would never even associate them with Christians, the Jews began to slander. They said, these are cannibals. They eat flesh and they drink blood. 
They slander them that they're anti-family because they call each other brothers and sisters. And in calling each other brothers and sisters, they are saying they never cared about this, their biological family. It says they persecuted, they, they, they it speak about, they, they, they slandered them and they said they were home wreckers because persons were converting to Christianity. They said they were lustful because they had love feasts and they would greet each other with a holy kiss. And so the Jews then slandered the Christians. But Jesus knew that the believers in Smyrna also were going to be experiencing job discrimination just because they converted to him. In Rome it was known that each year the citizens would go up to worship Caesar and they would burn incense and they would sprinkle incense at the temple of Caesar. And this they would do to show their allegiance. And after they would have sprinkled or burnt their incense, they would be given a certificate, which in my mind is a likeness to a social security card. It gives them the go ahead, but every year they have to go and renew it. If someone did not go and sprinkle or burn incense, they did not get a certificate. But the certificate was what allowed them to be employed. So think about what happened to the Christians. And like the Christians then, or, or now, like in Russia and China where we have the underground Christians, those Christians then were discriminated. They could not work because they did not have a certificate. And so today we understand discrimination in a way because of our gender as women, because of our race and because of our color. But for them it was just because of their religion. Jesus knew that the believers in Smyrna were poor and as a result of being unemployed, they became poor and homeless. The slaves who sold themselves into slavery, because slavery then was not like the slavery that we know that operated in America. Persons sold themselves into slavery and at the age of 30 they were released. They never went beyond 30 unless they sold themselves for a lifetime. And people would sell themselves into slavery so that they could feed them themselves or feed their families. It was not slavery like the slavery we know about. And so imagine a slave having sold himself to his master and then being converted. He could not be employed. He could no longer be a part of that household. The Jewish women who converted were divorced because they have abandoned, they have, they have become, they were disowned. And the same thing happened to any individual from a Jewish household or the Roman culture that became Christians. They were treated as outcasts. Materially, they had nothing. In the eyes of the world, they were poor. They were the disenfranchised. They were the poverty ones. But in the eyes of God, that same poor church was a prosperous church. The scripture says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. The riches that they had were the spiritual things such as love, faith, joy, hope, peace. 
And as I thought about it, think about it. If, if they had such a brotherly and a sisterly love that those looking on felt that like they were lustful because they were so close. Imagine the camaraderie, the unity that they had. They were chosen by God to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. And so we see that though they were poor in a lot of ways, they had so much. But they were rich in the thing that mattered. They knew what it meant to trust God and to totally depend on him for everything. And as I thought about that, I thought about the book that we, I, I read this week where the man said, I exchange my resources for God's unlimited resources. And so the, the, the church in Smyrna, though they were poor in the eyes of the world, not having anything materially, spiritually they were rich. I read an article from John MacArthur where he said the Soviet Union pastor came to his church and at the end of the service he met with him and the pastor said to him, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how you pastor church in America. So John said to him, what do you mean? The pastor said, I could never pastor here. I would rather to pastor in Soviet Union where I still have to hide. He said, because your people are caught up in the worldly system. They are materially inclined and all they think about is comfort. Where can you find those who are truly committed? He said to John, he said, John, I'd rather be the pastor of a poor, rich church than to be the pastor of a rich, poor church. And that was what the church of Smyrna was. They were a poor, rich church. They were poor materially, but they were rich spiritually. When we think about our church, when we think about our lives, would we be considered one with poor and rich, or would we be seen as from the Soviet Union's pastor's perspective that we are rich, poor church? Jesus knew the believers were persecuted, not because of the wrong they did. And there's a difference when you are being persecuted for the thing that you did, as opposed to something that you didn't do. It was not because of what they did why they were being persecuted. They were persecuted because they loved God. And they were obedient to him instead of Rome. Many Christians then were martyred. Some were thrown into the arenas to be eaten by the wild beasts, which we know are the lions. Some were hung, some were burned alive at the stakes. And the pastor, Polycarp, one of the pastors of the church of Smyrna, was burned alive at the age of 86 at the hands of the Roman Empire for his refusal to worship and to burn incense at the temple of Caesar. And the story goes like this, that Polycarp heard that the Roman officials were intent 
on arresting him for his refusal to bow, refusal to burn incense. And so he decided that I am going to wait at home. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to wait at home for them to come. His friends pleaded with him and said, Polycarp, go to the hills. Polycarp, go away. Go far away the way they cannot find you because they are, you are the target. And Polycarp refused, but they insisted. And he agreed and he went away to a very small estate in the country. While in fact, Polycarp had a vision that God was calling him to be burnt alive. And one day there, they, there was a slave girl who was being in, interrogated because they found out that she was a believer, a convert to Christianity. And they tortured her. And as they tortured her, she collapsed and she gave in. And she told them where Polycarp was. So the soldiers arrived to at the estate that, that, that Polycarp was staying. And as they knocked on the door, they, the other believers in the house saw them and said to Polycarp, Polycarp, you need to go and hide. Polycarp said, no, God's will be done. Polycarp was interrogated and, and would be allowed to live. And actually there was a captain of the soldiers who, who said, how can, I, how can I destroy such an old man? And he pleaded with Polycarp. He said, Polycarp, why don't you just bow to Caesar? Why don't you just yield to what they're asking you to do so that you can save your life? And Polycarp refused again. Polycarp said to them, Leave me as I am. And so it was told that as they led him away and they continued to plead with him and say, Yield, burn the incense at Caesar's temple. And, and Polycarp kept on refusing. He cannot, he cannot, he could not see himself disowning the Christ that he knew. And when they got into that arena and they were about to nail his hands to the stake, Polycarp stopped them and he, in essence he said to them, you don't have to do that. His actual words were, leave me as I am for he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me to remain unmoved without the security you desire from the nails. It was told that as the flames burned, Polycarp was given another opportunity to deny Christ and to worship Caesar. But he said, for 60, 86 years I have served, I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the stories go on their story says, and when the flames start to burn and he was lit a fire, he said the wind came and the wind just blew away the fire and like the fire now became a wall around him and he wasn't dying. And one of the soldiers took his stake and he plunged it into Polycarp and he died. And so Polycarp's death culminated the persecution of the church. So the church, the, the martyrdom don't be began to increase. People were dying. They were just killing people. 
Life was difficult for the believers in the church of Smyrna. And they had every reason to lose faith. They had every reason to become disappointed. They had every reason to become discouraged. But they didn't. They remained faithful. Even to the point of death. Are you remaining faithful? Even in what you're going through. Can you, like Polycarp says, I have been his servant and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The third thing I want to note this morning from the text is that I said earlier, Jesus never rebuked them. But what he did, he counseled them. In verse 10, we see he said to them, do not be afraid. And we sang a song this morning that says, I am not alone. So there's no need to be afraid. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will, be, will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. What an encouragement. So if Jesus was coming to encourage a, a church, he would have thought that he would have come and he would say, what you're going through is going to stop. In 10 days, it will be no more. But instead he's saying to them, look out, more is coming. It is going to get harder. It is going to intensify. Your persecution is going to increase. Jesus was preparing them in light of what they were going through and in light of what they will be faced in the future. Could Jesus be saying to us this morning, look out, more is coming. The prophecy of Jesus in, that ver in verse 10 where he said the devil will put some of you in prison was, was fulfilled. Christians were imprisoned for their faith. And they were tested. Could it be that what you are undergoing at work, at home, at school is to test your faith? When I read this, that, this particular scripture, I'm reminded of Job. When, when God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? But none of us wants God to remind us or to bring us to the Satan, right? For some of us, I remembered having a conversation with Kirk yesterday where he said, the church as a church, we have been, we have been told a lie. We have been told that when you come to Jesus, everything becomes better and everything is solved. And that's the opposite. Actually, when you come, come to Jesus, you now become a target of the enemy. We felt that the protection that we were told that we are going to be given from God meant that we would not be experiencing no harm. And I remember having this conversation yesterday morning and Friday with my mother having heard that my house was broken into 
and the children's laptop were stolen and all the money that we had there from the office was stolen. And when my mother heard it, she said, but we have been praying and we are praying and so how did God allow that? And I remember saying to her, my mother, where did, in scripture did you read that we will not experience hard times and hardships and things that would cause us to worry? And then you would ask, so why, if God tells us that he's a loving God, why would he allow his believers to go through such trials and tribulations? Why would he have allowed persons to be sick and to have disease ravishing someone's body? Why would he allow some persons, because you think about people, some persons who are losing their children and losing their, their loved ones. Why would he have allowed persons to go through financial hardship? Why would he allow those who call upon him to be lonely or to be discriminated? Why would he allow their faith to be tested instead of protecting them? But none of us enjoy trials, nor look forward to be persecuted. Actually, when I heard the news on Friday, that was not the thing I expected to hear. The children left the house within an hour. They came back. The man was in the house. And he took what he wanted to have taken. They felt violated. They were concerned about me. I wasn't concerned about me. I was concerned about them. Because they lost. They lost. They are the ones dealing with being in the house. And having their space being violated. They, were, they felt vulnerable. And so you say... None of us want to go through that. None of us want to, to hear that your children are uh, faced with that. None of us want to experience it. Actually, none of us want to be persecuted for even serving the Lord. Actually, most of the times, what God wishes for us and for our lives differs from what we want for our lives. But trials and tribulations are designed to fulfill a purpose and to produce a reward because I was shocked at my response I was calm Friday, calm Saturday and still calm today and I'm saying to God God, how did I get here? how did I get to that place where I heard that all of that because the man kicked down the door and he broke the door and he went in so he was determined to get in Nothing would have stopped him. How did I get to that place where that particular news didn't rob me of my peace? And as I prepared this, I, I felt the Lord show, showed me James 1 verses 1 to 4 and a couple of other scriptures I'm going to be reading. It says, trials develop perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. So that you and I may be mature and completely lack nothing. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says, These have come so that your faith, your faith, my faith, our faith, of greater worth than gold, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine 
and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In James 1.3, he says, The testing of our faith produces perseverance. Faith is proven genuine through persecution, trials, and sufferings. The test destroys faith, false faith, but strengthens true faith. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our life, so what we're going through now, um, Paul is saying, For our light and momentary troubles, or momentary troubles, I'm sorry, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what you and I are going through, he's saying, is light in comparison to the glory we will receive. And James 1.12 taps it up, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres on the trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Therefore, we recognize that, as I mentioned, that the trials and the persecution are there to reward. There's a reward that comes when we overcome. And it produces something in us. We become person, we, we be able to endure. We, our characters are developed. I no longer do things the way I used to do it or react the way I used to react. My faith in God is strengthened because I'm recognizing that he who can kill my body, break into my house, make my children feel vulnerable, cannot destroy my soul. And above all of that, Paul is saying to us, that the glory, the eternal glory that is given to those who overcome is greater. The believers in Smyrna would be persecuted for 10 days. And I thought about 10 days. I said, Lord, 10 days, is it 10 days which a day represents a year? Or where it says a year is like a thousand day, year, days? Or a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And for a, when you thought about this, God, because I know in ten physical days they were still being persecuted. Because when you read the history of that church or, or, or of those churches, persecution happened for a long time. People were martyred. It was going to be a, it was supposed, and I'm assuming that ten days meant it was going to be a short time. And short is perspective. It was going to be a short time, but it was going to be an intensive time of being tortured. And many would be persecuted. Many would be martyred. Some would be released, but some would never be. But in essence, God was saying, whatever the outcome, I am the one who overcome death. I am the first and the last. I control the beginning and I control the end. I died and came back to life. And because I did it, I conquered death. And those who believe in me will conquer death. Jesus' encouragement to his believers in Smyrna was, you do not have to fear the future. 
if you remain faithful. If you die, die in faith. And if you live, live in faith even while being persecuted. Because those who remain faithful will be given the crown of life. Not a crown, but the crown. The crown then was the victory prize. It was the, 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 the wreath that the, the, athlete, the champion athlete wore at the games. And he said, if you remain faithful, even to the point of death, I will give you the victor's crown. You will wear the victor's crown. And as I thought about that, I'm thinking of the song in my head that's saying, Hallelujah. We have overcome. He has overcome. Jesus has overcome the world. And the fourth thing I want us to look at this morning is Jesus closes the letter to them and he says in verse 11 whoever has ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death and we 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 recognize that he didn't say the first death or we not be overcome by hurt by death because we're all going to be dying because physical death is the first death he who overcomes, he says, will not be hurt at all. At all. That is the operative word. Will not be hurt at all by the second death. So who is he that overcomes? According to John, 1 John 5 verses 4 to 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the one who overcomes the world. Therefore, as the overcomer, Jesus is saying, Do not fear death. Do not fear the second death. The first death, all persons, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, will face the first death. But the second death is for those who have failed to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And for that believers, do not worry. Because death to us is not final, it is temporary. But the second death, which is a spiritual death, is eternal and that should be concerning to any person listening to the, my voice today who have not believed or who have not made Jesus Christ your Lord the second death is the eternal death and I remember having a conversation the other day we were already looking and Boy, I would wish I was really wishing I could find a scripture that says to me, hell is not going to be real, the way we understand it. Because I do not know anyone that I would want to go to hell. And the second death 
that he's speaking about is that those who have not been made alive with Christ will die twice. And the reality is that dying is not going to that place of rest. Eternal death is dying and dying and dying and dying. And so today we recognize that we have a choice. We can choose we can choose to be an overcomer or we can choose to be affected by that second death or impacted by it. The church of Smyrna was a pure, poor, yet prosperous church. They were persecuted for their faith, slandered against, and as I said before, like myrrh, they were crushed. When I thought about it, when, when the myrrh was crushed, as I mentioned before, we, perfume could have been made out of it, come from it, anointing oil could come from it, and embalming fluid could come from it. And I'm thinking about their lives looking on and reading about them and when I did the research about them it was like a perfume their, what they underwent and what they what they stood up to and went through just to hold on or to say that we serve God we serve the risen king it was like a perfume for me it gave me hope it says to me I can hold on to because listen the reality is we may never be persecuted the way they, are, they were persecuted. Actually, the thing that we are going through, minimal, but it's still a lot. They were crushed. In what way did their lives become perfume? And in what way were they the anointing oil? Think about it. They would have been the ones there that in the moment of persons being sick, in the moment of persons, the widows, they were the anointing oil. They were the ones also that the thing looks dead. The, po the poverty makes them look so dead, yet they still kept going. They were not caught up into the material things. They never had to have everything. And I'm thinking about a slave. Because I remember when I did the, the research many years ago on slavery then, and recognize that person's slavery was until you were 30. And when person sold themselves, and if you, that was the only method you could provide for yourself, what would they have done? Not having a certificate. It's like an immigrant coming here now, at least they can get it's under the table job now and then. Then, nothing. The Jews didn't like them because of their Christianity. And Rome didn't because they wouldn't bow to Caesar. What would have, what happened to them? And the same thing happened to immigrants who are here now illegally. They are experiencing extreme poverty. But Christ said to the, the church of Smyrna, and he says to us in the midst of what we are going through, remain faithful. The only way you can overcome 
is by remaining faithful. The only way you can overcome is that when your faith is tested and it's proven to be genuine. The only way you can overcome is when you persevere and endure the things. Because Jesus is saying to you this morning, I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. And poverty may not only mean money. I know your emotional bankruptcy. I know your longings. I know your desires. Yet he says to, to you also, yet you are rich, you are prosperous. I know the things that were spoken against you. I know that the enemy has done negative things, bad things, brought you into hardship. You have been persecuted. But he says to you this morning, be faithful. Be faithful even to the point of death. Be faithful. And as I, I'm thinking about it now, I'm saying, God, you are saying to us, be faithful. Remain faithful like the church in Smyrna. I know your affliction. I know your poverty. I know what you have been through and are going through. But for you to overcome, for you to, to receive that victor's crown, you must be victorious. You must overcome. And so I'm mindful this morning that there are persons who are listening who may not have believed and have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. I am mindful that yes, because whether you're a believer or unbeliever, you are persecuted. And that's the conversation I had. I remembered my daughter saying to me, Mommy, why do we have to be poor? And she said, why couldn't we be born rich? And, I, and, and two days later, she sent me an article that the rich man and the poor man worries about the same thing. The rich man, the poor man worries about paying his bills. The rich man worries about how do I keep this money because the stock market is every day he wakes up, did the stock go up or down? Because he knows within a day the stock market can wipe him out. The rich man knows, the poor man knows, listen, stock market has, whether the stock market goes up or down is neither here nor there. I'm just trying to pay the light bill. And so both, so she came to our conclusion on her own that whether she was born rich or poor, she would still have had problems. And the same thing this morning, whether you are a believer or a non-believer, you would have experienced hardship. You would have gone through persecution. You would have been slandered. You would have gone through everything. But what Jesus is saying to us this morning, that those who remain faithful to him have a reward. Why, 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 why struggle in vain? And at the end of your struggle, there is nothing. Why allow yourself to be persecuted and afflicted? Because it's happening. 
Every situation that you go through as a believer, the non-believer is going through it. But Jesus is saying to you, but when you go through it, for my name's sake, you are guaranteed eternal life. And so this morning, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's the condition of your heart this morning. If you should stand before the Lord right now, what would your conversation with him be? Would he say, welcome thou good and faithful servant? Or would he say to you, depart from me, I know you not. And that's a question that we have to answer individually. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, now is the time. Not tomorrow, now. He said, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. And you may say, but I'm not hearing his voice. Yes, you are. You're hearing me speak because I'm not speaking on behalf of me. I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. And you're hearing him say to you, today is the acceptable day. Now is the time. And so you may ask, so how do I do this? How do I make Jesus Christ my Lord? It's a very simple process. Not a mathematical equation. It's a process of you saying to the Lord, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned against you in my thoughts. And you may say, I am not a sinner. I have lived pure. But if you have ever lied, you are a sinner. If you have ever thought negative things about others, you are a sinner. And the only way you can be forgiven is for you to ask the Lord to forgive you of everything you have done. And it's okay if you want to go ahead and list those things that you can remember. Because you more than likely you won't remember everything. And when you ask him to come, the scripture says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is risen from the dead and that he is Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, the scripture says, you will be saved. And so it is simple as you being where you are and saying to the Lord, Lord, I believe that you are God. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. The scripture says he comes. Because once you invite him in, he comes. And the scripture tells you that the angels in heaven rejoice when someone asks the Lord to forgive them and come home. And if you're a believer who have been persecuted and afflicted and have discouraged you, and I can understand you say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I have done things God's way, but now I'm going to try to do it my way. He's saying to you, your way can't work. There's no way you can protect yourself from what is happening. He says, come and I will teach you to remain faithful. Come and I will walk with you. Come and I will be with you. 
come and I will ensure that everything that you go through as Anne-Marie read the scripture this morning that when you go through the fire I will be with you when you walk through the waters he says it won't overflow you it won't you won't basically be flooded out it, 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 you won't drown you won't go through that because he will be with you he said I am your savior the holy one of Israel I will give Cush as a ransom for you he said, because you are precious in my sight, I will do all of this for you. And for those this morning who are believers and who are remaining faithful, the Lord is commending you. And he's saying, thou good and faithful servant, you will receive the victor's crown. And so, Father, I just thank you this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, that you came so that we would have life and have it to an abundance. And if we are faithful, God, we do not have to fear what we face. Because you said to us, if we die, die in faith. If we live, live in faith. And so, Father, I thank you this morning. I bless your name this morning for the hope that we have in you. And so, as you go today, remember whatever you will face tomorrow. Remember what you will face next week. That God is saying to you, if you remain faithful, the second death, will not be your concern. If you remain faithful, the crown, the victor's crown will be your reward. And so as you go today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Go today being blessed. And looking forward to seeing you and being with you again next week. Good morning. So I